0: Hey, uh, this has been um, an interesting series, one that, as I've shared, God has kind of been birthing in me for some time, and uh, it's a series called In Between. It's a series about waiting on God for a breakthrough, knowing that something needs to happen, uh, there needs to be a breakthrough in our lives in some area, and yet it's not happening, and so we're waiting. And what we've been discovering is that a season of waiting is not a a passive season, It's not a season for sitting back and just uh, waiting for things to happen, though that's part of it, but really there's a purpose for a season of waiting, and that is that God wants to do a work in us. There are things he's working on in us, and so we need to be a part of that, connected to it, and we can actively participate in the growth he's trying to bring about in our lives. And so I've been trying to encourage you with that, that listen, if you're going through suffering, like we, worked at the, uh, we looked at the first week, if you're in a season of suffering, we looked at Job and his story and how God grew him closer to himself through that suffering. We looked at uh, if you're in a season of waiting on a promotion or advancement, we looked at King David and how uh, it was uh, seven to 15 years between the time he was anointed to be king and he actually sat on the throne. And so there was a season there where he had to wait, where he was developed, it was challenging. Last week, we looked at a season of waiting on a prodigal, a son or daughter to come back to God, maybe a loved one, someone that you care about, a brother, sister, mother, father, someone that hasn't come to Jesus yet, but you uh, desperately long for them to to come to Jesus and get saved. And we looked at the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told and how to navigate a season of waiting for that. This week, we conclude the series with uh, one of the most famous uh, characters in the Bible, Our theme this week is waiting for a dream to come true, waiting for a dream to come true. I believe that we all have hopes and dreams. Dreams are very important. In the Bible, God is the giver of dreams. If you read the scriptures and the stories of both in the Old and New Testament, God is the one who speaks through dreams to his people. He speaks to them words of encouragement, sometimes direction, Sometimes, sometimes things that he needs them to know. He reveals his will to them through dreams. This week, we're looking at probably the most famous dreamer in all of the Bible, a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph, Joseph lived um, at the time of the patriarchs. Uh, Joseph um, had a, um, uh, an important story because God used him in a powerful way to help the people of Israel. But dreams are connected to hope. Without hope, human beings will die. We cannot function without hope. Hope is essential. We struggle with depression and and suicide. Comes from, oftentimes, the root is a lack of hope. And so hope is essential to us. Many think that dreams are a luxury of the young. That uh, when you're in your youth, you have the luxury of dreaming. But then real life hits and you become an adult and you have to get responsible and dreams go away. I think I might need to say to somebody this morning, that if God gives you a dream, some of you had a dream years ago where you felt called to something, you felt like God was giving you a picture of the future, and that dream has died. It has gone away into the graveyard for dreams. Can I just say to you this morning that God has not forgot about that dream? If he gave you that dream, he has an intention of fulfilling that dream, of seeing it come to pass. Some of us get through life and we get to a point where we've just forgotten or we lose hope in it, or we think, well, I missed that, that ship sailed. I'm not gonna get to do that anymore. Can I just tell you that's not how God operates. God is not in the same program that you are. (laughs) He is not restricted to your process of seeing dreams come true. He has a different process. He can work things out in his sovereign will in ways that you could never dream of. And so today we're gonna see this in the story of Joseph, that God's plan to get Joseph where he wanted him was Very different than Joseph would have chosen. It is not a path he would have picked. And it's not a path that anyone else would have said, oh, here's the dream that you've had and this is how you're gonna get there. And no one would have prescribed this path. Yet God had this in mind. And God was working sovereignly in the life of Joseph. And so Joseph did fulfill what God wanted for him, the dream that he gave him. So I wanna encourage you today that perhaps there's a dream that you let die that you need to consider again. Or perhaps we are at a new decade, 2020, a new year, a new decade. Perhaps it's time for you to dream again. Maybe it's time for you to consider what would God have for me in the next 10, 20 years or the rest of my life. This is a time for that. It's a season of God's activity in our country, in our world. And I want to encourage you that there are things God has for us. And I hope today that we can catch a little bit of it. We can be encouraged with what God wants to do. And so let's dig into this today. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 37. That's where we'll start. We're gonna look at the life of Joseph. But if I could, as you're turning there, um, let me say a prayer for us as we get started. God, we come to you thankful. Thankful that you speak to us today. Thankful that you reveal your will to us today. Father, thank you for uh, being a God of dreams. A God who gives dreams. A God who speaks into our lives future and direction and hope. And Father, I pray today as we navigate your inspired word that you have protected for us and handed down to us over thousands of years, we can look at the stories contained within it, the, the, the words contained within it, and hear directly from you. God, I thank you for that. I pray you would touch our hearts today with what you want for us and how you wanna to speak to us in accordance with your will. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we start today, I just want to encourage you with this. Make sure that your dream honors God. As we set out to dream, as we think about the future perhaps, or we resurrect dreams from the past, make sure your dream honors God. Matthew 6, says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. It's a verse that I learned in Awana years ago. It's a verse that has come to my mind throughout the years that Seeking God's kingdom, seeking his will. What is he about? What does he want to have happen on the earth? As I dream and think about my future, and I would say the same for you, consider seeking first God's kingdom. Secondly, live righteously. Each day, move closer to obedience to Jesus. Move away from sin in your life and move towards the will of God, obedience to God. Do not settle for sin in your life. Do not allow it to exist Uh, without contesting it and fighting against it. Keep moving in the right direction. Live righteously. Lastly, God will make everything else come to pass. He will meet your needs. Um, He will give you the rest uh, of what you need in this life. And hopes and dreams are a part of what we need. And so um, let me encourage you with that. Um, Our man, Joseph, Interesting story, Joseph, at the time we encounter him in Genesis 37, is about 17 years old. He's a young man who's grown up in a home. He has uh, 11 brothers, so there's 12 boys in this family. His father is Jacob. Jacob is one of the patriarchs. Jacob's grandfather was Abraham. Abraham is the one God called out initially to begin and start the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. Abraham is the father of the Hebrew nation. Abraham had a son, Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the three patriarchs of the Hebrew nation. They're important people, important figures. God worked through them, okay, to initiate and to start his people. He made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a place where you can live that is your own. I'm going to give you seed, which is offspring. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless the world through you. And so Abraham was an important character. His son Isaac continued this progression of following God, and God continued to roll out his will for the nation of Israel through Isaac and then Jacob. Now, Jacob was Joseph's father, and Jacob is an interesting character in that he was uh, the youngest of two boys. He should not have been the one to get the birthright, uh, to get the blessing, to carry on the family name, and yet he did. He was the one. Um, he is known most famously in part for stealing his brother's birthright. And so great family dynamic, you know, a good man of character. Listen, the Bible doesn't present a perfect picture of people. It tells us the truth. It tells us uh, the bumps and, and problems and fo- foibles in their lives, the failures and sin. And that's why it's so believable and true is because it's the reality of what happened. And so uh, Jacob was a conniver, He was dishonest. He would steal and and work to get things uh, to go his direction. And so this is Jacob. Jacob uh, running from his brother after he stole his birthright. He had to flee, uh, as you would imagine would happen. And so Jacob ends up in the wilderness, and he runs into a man who uh, is a a sheep herder and has a large um, herds to care for, and Jacob begins to work for him, and he falls in love with one of this man's daughters, Rachel. Uh, he, He falls for her, and he wants to marry her. And so he begins to negotiate with her father for this, uh, her hand in marriage. And he says, well, listen, if you work seven years for me, I'll give you my daughter, Rachel. And so Jacob begins to work. He works seven years and the, the okay, the father says, sure, uh, here you go. Uh, you, you can have my daughter. You fulfilled the agreement. And so um, uh, the night of the wedding happens and, and uh, they go into their tent. The next morning, Jacob wakes up and he realizes he does not have Rachel. He's been given Leah. Um, who is his father-in-law's oldest daughter. He's been tricked. So he works seven years to get Rachel, and he ends up with Leah, and obviously he's frustrated and and furious, and he wonders what's happening, what's the relationship, what's going on here, and so he talks to his father-in-law, and his father-in-law says, well, listen, if you, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I know, there's a misunderstanding there, but you gotta understand, uh, I had to marry her off first, and so uh, he said, if you work another seven years, you can have Rachel, and so Jacob works another, you can see how Jacob's life goes, right? And so this is the nature of his life, and so he's got two wives, where every man knows one wife is more than you can handle. He has two wives, okay? And just as every wife knows, you don't want two husbands. No, one's enough. Okay, we know that. Uh, Again, these characters didn't live out God's plan and will in every arena. They went astray, okay? And we see that. And so he has two wives. And then they each have servants who act as surrogates. And so he uh, has children through four women. Um, And so here's Jacob trying to navigate all of this. He's got... uh, as I said, he's got 12 sons, and two of them were born to Rachel, his favorite wife. Shouldn't have had really had a favorite. Again, I could have counseled him. It's going to get you in trouble. Two wives has problems, and you got a favorite. I mean, you're looking for a train wreck, but Jacob did his thing, he did what he wanted, and, and so uh, obviously not looking to me for counsel, and so here he has a favorite wife and two favorite sons. Joseph was one of them, Benjamin, the second son, Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin, and so he loses his favorite wife, so now he has these two boys, and you can imagine how he was latched onto them, he protected them, he coddled them, he gave them preference, he raised up two boys with, who had a character flaws and issues. They had problems. Um, in our story, one of the things I want to point out to you is that once God gives you a dream that honors him, make sure you share your dream with humility. Humility is a key word here. Joseph is 17 years old in, in uh, Genesis chapter 37. If you want to follow along, starting in verse 5, Joseph um, handled his relationship with his brothers um, In an interesting way, starting in verse 5, chapter 37. One night, Joseph had a dream. When he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. By inference, they already hated him, okay? They hated him more than ever. Listening to this dream, he said, we're out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered round and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because what? Because of his dreams and key and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is this, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow, uh, bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So here's a young, impetuous, arrogant, ignorant 17-year-old. You may have met one of those before. Um, not entirely uncommon. However, here's the problem. Joseph has been groomed this way through poor parenting. He's been raised to be a problem. He has such a poor relationship with his brothers, they want nothing to do with him. They hate him because of the way he handles that relationship. And so Joseph shares these dreams that God gives him. And he knows what they mean. In fact, they're not that hard to interpret. His brothers know as soon as he shares them. So the way he talked about it, arrogant and ignorance, he created such significant problems in his family with his siblings, that if you know the story already, we're going to find today that it comes back to bite him hard. He uh, he suffers at the hand of his brothers because of this poor relationship he has with them. Jacob was a rebellious son, as I shared. I think oftentimes in our country, we kind of encourage teen rebellion, right? We encourage some rebellion. That's no, just normal to be an American kid, to do some stuff that you shouldn't do. And so when Those rebellious teenagers grow up, get married, and have children. They sometimes have a hard time being parents. Parenting, good parenting, requires leadership skills. You have to be able to say to your children things like, no. That's tough if you were rebellious, and all of a sudden they're trying to do those same rebellious things, and a lot of parents say, well, I did that. How can I say no to my kids doing that? Well, the way you can say no to that is to open your mouth and say no. Okay, listen, I'm serious. I know that it's difficult. But here's the thing. Being a grown-up, being responsible means that you step into a role of leadership and correction and instruction for your children. Something Jacob didn't do, something that is happening in our country, less and less, something that is very important and essential. Dr. Spock, Benjamin Spock, wrote books on parenting when I was a child. Um, my mom had some of his books that she read. Uh, I found them as I grew older. Dr. Spock led the way among child-rearing professionals in instructing parents, listen to this, not to discipline their children. He said that doing so would damage children's ego. (sighs) Later in his life, he realized that he had made a mistake. And he said, we have reared a generation of brats. Parents aren't firm enough with their children for fear of losing their love or incurring their resentment. This is cruel deprivation that we professionals have imposed on mothers and fathers. Of course, we did it with the best of intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Okay, we did it with good intentions. We didn't realize until it was too late how our know-it-all attitude was undermining the self-assurance of parents. The truth is, that parents know that their children are not perfect. They know. Um, I have a little granddaughter. She's beautiful. Uh, She's perfect. But I know that hidden behind that beautiful facade is a little sinner. I know that, okay? I know that she's not perfect. I know that she's gonna do things bad, okay? Because that's how we're all wired. We're born into a sinful world. We're born with sin natures. And professionals can... uh, overlook those obvious things for some reason, you know, sometimes intelligence doesn't translate into common sense, okay? And so overlooking all that, encourage parents to do something they know they shouldn't do, but they listen to the professionals. Now listen, I'm not disparaging professionals, okay? My point is this. If someone tells you to do something with your children, in your life, in your business, whatever it might be, just a, little, uh, just a little insight here for you. This is free this morning. But if it goes against what God's word says and you choose to do it, you're headed for problems. You're headed for a train wreck because I can guarantee you without any question, without any hesitation, that it will not work. It may look like it's working for a little bit. It may have a facade of effectiveness, but in the end, it will produce nothing but problems. And that is what we've got to remember can I encourage you? Raising children, parents, don't listen to those that would push you away from what God's word says. God's word says to discipline our kids, to correct them. This is essential for their success. If we love them, we're gonna do this. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it takes, um, uh, you know, confrontation, right? It takes uh, having them cry and be upset with us and maybe throw a fit in those things. Can I just tell you, after raising three kids, they're all adults now, um, that I I led them, I contradicted them, I got after them, I got on them, I pushed them. Okay, I have relationships with all of them. They don't hate me, at least they don't tell me that to my face. (laughs) Listen, it's gonna be all right. Trust the process, trust God. Do what needs to be done. Okay, let's move on. The reason Joseph had to be broken of his arrogance is that his character had flaws. Joseph had this relationship with his brothers. They hated him. And so one day, his father sent him to check on them. They were out watching the sheep. They had traveled north from their home. They were looking for pastures for the sheep. They had uh, traveled and navigated. Joseph went out to find them. He couldn't find them. He was wandering around. A guy came up to him and said, can I help you? You look lost. He said, yeah, I'm looking for my brothers. He directed him towards them. Joseph found them and he was headed towards them. The Bible says when they saw him coming a long ways off, they started to conspire a way to kill him. Okay, I have siblings, we fought, I'm the oldest, I was a jerk sometimes, I mean, we got into it a little bit, my brothers here today can testify, okay, but never at any point that I'm aware of did we want to kill each other, okay, really. Now listen, this is harsh. Joseph has walked himself into a situation in life that is fatal, seemingly blind to it, seemingly unaware of what he was doing. But nevertheless, his brother said, we need to end his life. Well, Reuben, the oldest, said, no, let's don't kill him. Let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. We can make some money from him, and we don't want his blood on our head. And so this is what they decided to do. And so Joseph, this young man who was privileged, a favorite, father protected him, gave him extra stuff. Uh, Joseph had everything he wanted. He was happy. Uh, he could do whatever he wants, say whatever he wants with uh, impunity. He didn't get in trouble for any of it, right? Here's this spoiled kid who had it all, who's now on a wagon train or a camel train down to Egypt. He's going to be sold as a slave. Bible doesn't tell us what went through his mind, but you can kind of imagine, kind of a rough step, kind of a rough adjustment. Uh, Joseph gets down to Egypt, and Potiphar purchases him. Potiphar worked for Pharaoh. Potiphar was an important man. He had a large estate. He had a lot, of go- a lot going on in his business, which was, uh, in those days, they called it you know, their home, their estate. It was their business. He had, a, he had a large amount of work to do, and Joseph was sold to him, I'm sure, for a, a pretty penny. Joseph was a sharp young man. I'm sure Potiphar said, this isn't the normal slave. This guy is, uh, has some leadership ability. But he put him in charge, and slowly, Joseph worked hard. He worked with integrity, and he gained a leadership position. Potiphar put him in charge of his home. Potiphar had a wife who wanted to step outside the marriage. And so um, Joseph encountered a problem. The truth is that you will be tested as you work on your dream. Your character will be tested. Joseph had some character flaws, but through this season of testing, he actually encounters an issue, a moral issue, that he handles correctly. Starting Genesis 39, if you switch over to 39... Flip over there, starting in verse six. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here uh, has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It It would be a great sin against God. This is brilliant. Joseph actually shows a great deal of poise and strength of character here. I've got to believe that somehow between uh, where his brother sold him in Egypt, there was some some adjustments that got made to his attitude. And here he is uh, working in a situation and unlike many, Joseph said, I'm gonna double down and I'm gonna live for God and I'm gonna get better, I'm gonna improve. Through a tough situation, through something that he had to learn a lot from, Joseph chose to go in the right direction, which is admirable. He moved to a place where he recognized the position he was in, the, what had been entrusted to him. In order for your dream to become reality, you will need to pass many tests on your integrity. You will need to pass many tests on your integrity. Will you choose to honor God with those tests? Will you choose to take a shortcut and get what is expedient, and what will benefit you? Listen, the world is full of these choices. You know that. You've had to make them. Some you've probably passed. Some you've probably failed. I want to call us again today to step up to a path of honoring God with those choices. Move in the right direction. So many in our world set out chasing a dream, only to be consumed by it and crushed by it and left gutted and wrecked after they get it. Because dreams require character. In order for dreams to come true, in order for me to walk with the weight of a dream, I've got to have the character to stand up underneath it. I've got to have the resolve. Um, Compromise and temptation have consumed our country. We have become a country which was founded with individuals who were all about serving one another, about doing what was best for the country. Uh, They had this fledgling little thing that they had started, freedom of religion, right? It was an experiment, and they were committed to it. They were more committed to that than they were to their own benefit. And what would benefit them? That's why they were able to sacrifice for it and give their lives oftentimes for it so that it could happen. They were committed to that. They had strength of character. As we move away from that in our country becomes more and more about getting for myself, benefiting me. It's not so much about the community I live in. It's not so much about uh, taking responsibility for others. It's about what can I get? How can I get my part? How can I do what's best for me? This kind of corruption is, is, permeates our country. It's everywhere from the very top all the way down to the smallest communities. And this is the truth. We've got to, as followers of Jesus, have a commitment to return to the character and the moral guidance and the moral instruction that God gives us. Can I just tell you this? That our society will crumble without moral, um, without moral standards, without people and individuals who answer to God and are responsible to him and know that they're not free to do whatever they want based on what they feel like doing but they have an accountability to God. That gives us the ability to stand up as a country and as a culture with the weight of the freedom we've been given. Freedom without character will destroy. And so we sit in this situation. Can I encourage you, whatever position you're in, if you're in charge of a business, if you work in a business, whatever your position, make the decisions to honor God, to follow him, to do what's right. You have been given a responsibility and we as followers of Jesus must rise up as those that would turn around the, the direction our culture is going in. We can do it, but it's gonna cost us, and can I just tell you that you will not always be rewarded for those decisions. Um, there were 128 runners in the field for the cross-country race at the 1993 NCAA Division II Track and Field Championships. As they set out on the 6.2-mile run, they were following a course that had been uh, marked for them by the race officials. Toward the end of the course, one of the runners in the middle of the pack realized something was wrong. Mike Delcavo of Western State College in Colorado saw that the main pack had missed a turn. I was waving for them to follow me and yelling, this is the right way, he told an interviewer after the race. Delcavo was right, but only four other runners followed him. The rest continued on the shortcut, which allowed them to run a shorter distance and finish the race sooner. In a widely criticized decision, race officials allowed the abbreviated course to stand as the official course, and Del Cavo officially finished 123rd. The world does not always reward staying on track, literally or figuratively, but the path we follow is important to God. The scriptures teach us that when we make a decision to trust in Jesus, we are justified, we're saved. It also teaches us that there will be an accounting we give at the end of our lives. This is not regarding salvation, it's regarding rewards. It's regarding affirmation by God our Father and Jesus our Savior. We'll stand before him and the works that we've done, the effort we've given in this life will go under fire and the things that were done for him with the right motives and the right response in obedience to him will stand up under the fire and we'll be recognized for those things we did in his name for him correctly. Can I encourage us to continue to take the right path, to do the right thing? Don't accept shortcuts, don't take them, even if it sets you back, and it will. You'll not get ahead as fast as others who choose to do the wrong thing and do it dishonestly, okay? It'll cost you, but in the end, can I assure you, it will strengthen your family, your own life, your community, okay, and it will strengthen our country. And we'll stand before God someday being able to say, um, or hear, well done, good and faithful servant. As you pass the tests of integrity that are sent your way, you need to shift your focus from achieving your dream for yourself to achieving your dream so you can serve others. Make your dream about serving others. Make your dream about serving others. Joseph um, says no uh, to Potiphar's wife she wants to sleep with him he resists her one day she corners him and presses him very hard sleeping he runs she grabs his cloak and once he's gone she realizes she's been rejected and scorned and she says she cries rape and she calls the the servants in she says this guy Joseph tried to rape me her husband gets home she said he tried to rape me Potiphar has to react to this I'm not sure what he thought I have a feeling he kind of knew his wife's character and Joseph's character. But anyway, he makes a decision. He has to do it. And he has Joseph thrown in prison. So Joseph is sold by his brothers in slavery. Leaves his home. He's down in Egypt working for Potiphar. He works hard. He honors his boss. He does the right thing. And for that, he's thrown in prison. That's a fine how do you do. Maybe you've had a bad day, bad week, bad year. Bad decade? This is pretty rough. I mean, doing the right things does not always get you rewarded, and it certainly didn't for Joseph. So Joseph finds himself in prison. One day, Pharaoh's cupbearer, who tasted the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned for the king, would taste the wine, that was his job. So Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker both made Pharaoh displeased, and he had them thrown in prison. And so Joseph gains a couple of cellmates who work for Pharaoh. Wow, this is kind of cool. Uh, Joseph has aspirations and dreams and a uh, hope of being uh, important someday. And so uh, he gets to know these guys. One day, they come in after getting up uh, from, from sleeping or whatever. They come in, and they, they're, they're, they look troubled. And Joseph says, hey, guys, what's going on? What's wrong? And they say, listen, we had, uh, both of us had a dream last night. In Genesis 40, verse 8, says this. And they replied, we both had dreams last night. But no one can tell us what they mean. Listen to this, key. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Joseph had gotten to the place, I believe, where he recognized that he was in the position he was in and he'd been given the gifts and abilities he had been given, not just for himself, not just to to get a position and be important and powerful, but he'd been given these gifts and abilities to serve others, to serve others. Joseph asked them what their dreams are, they tell him. The baker tells him his dream. Joseph says, listen. Here's what the dream means. In three days, you're going to get released from prison. Pharaoh's going to impale you on a post and kill you. Have a great day. <laughs> Tough news. Joseph delivers it. This is the interpretation. Is what's going to happen. The cupbearer has a different... Um, interpretation of his dream. In, in chapter 40, verse 12, it says this. This is what the dream means, Joseph says. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And now I am here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Joseph's not quite there but he's in the same place any one of us would be, going through what he's gone through, continue to say this is unjust and unfair, it's not right. But he recognized something important. Joseph started to realize that he was here to serve others, not just get his own promotion. Listen, the world is full of ambitious people. You can throw a rock and hit an ambitious person that wants to make it big, wants to get rich, wants to achieve something, wants to do something great. America encourages us, we draw these kind of people from all over the world, okay? It's great. But can I just tell you that doesn't set you apart or make you special in any way? Walking into the world and saying, hey, I'm so great. Everybody needs me and what I have to offer. I'm so smart. I'm so talented. Wonderful, wonderful. We don't need more of you, okay? (laughs) We don't need more of you. There's plenty, way too many. What we need is a shift from people who are about promotion, advancement, getting rich, making it on their own for themselves to a shift to recognizing that I need to become great and, and influential, make a difference in this world to serve and help others. Listen, the world's recognizing this. Uh, the venture capitalists uh, watch shows and see things. They, they, guys come in front of them, they wanna pitch their ideas, and they say to them, listen, it's great, you're ambitious, you wanna make a lot of money, and your, your business model needs to make sense, but don't come to me with your ambition in, in a way that you're gonna get famous and rich. Come to me with an idea that's gonna change the world, It's gonna help people's lives get better. Okay, these are pagans that are figuring this out. Can I just encourage us as the people of God in the church of Jesus Christ, We can recognize that serving others and helping make the world better should drive everything we do. It's what God has called us to. Um, Just some things I want to encourage you with, uh, some steps to take to learn to serve. Step number one, spend time with God each and every day. As you do, God will begin to transform your mind towards a focus on others rather than on yourself. This is what God does in our lives, in our hearts and minds. Step two, take the shape class here at Mitchell Brian Church. We have a shape class. It is all about helping you discover how you're made, how you're wired, how to put everything that you are, who you are, everything you've been through, put it together and find a place for you to serve in ministry. Step three, begin to serve in your local church. Serving in church ministry will teach you what serving is all about. You do not learn to serve in any other part of the world. Everything else, so we have a service industry, it's about benefiting me. It's about getting what I want, getting ahead, okay? This is just the nature of the human race (laughs) and certainly the nature of our culture. But in the church, we learn to serve others. Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must learn to be the servant of all. Jesus got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. As a servant, he led. We learn how to serve in the church. You need to learn how to serve others. Not just get for yourself, not just get your way, not just get things done the way you want them, but to serve other people. It's a, it's a difficult process. I have a friend who recently said, I've done a lot of things as a Christian and I thought I'd done some really powerful things, some really tough things, but recently I'm trying to learn to serve. And can I just tell you, it's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life. He said, you can't fake it. You can't, you can't pretend to serve others. If you're empty inside, if you do not filled up with Jesus and you try to give to others and serve them, you're not gonna be able to do it. Serving is tough, yet it's what we're called to do. So begin to serve. Step four, begin observing the needs of the people around you. Watch for people that are having things like a rough day, a difficult time, stress on their face. Now listen, in order to see that, you have to be thinking about somebody else besides yourself, right? You have to be aware of the people around you. Um, But ask God to show you someone that is in need so you can serve them. Um, When my kids were coming up, there was a movie that I made them watch about every other week. And uh, normally, you know, kids love to watch movies. After a while, they started to go, dang, watch again. I said, yeah, watching again. Here we go. Making nachos, watching this movie. Okay, the movie is called Robots, and it's a little animated movie. It's just kind of cute, right? I thought animated movies for our kids, but it had a message I wanted my kids to get. The movie is about a little boy who grows up as a robot and his dad's a dishwasher and he has dreams and aspirations. He wants to become a great inventor. He goes to Robot City, tries to pitch his idea to the big, big well, the big, the big man who has all the money and all the position and power. His company will make things and, and he wants to get in front of him and pitch his idea, but he can't get in. He's rejected, turned away. He finds himself on the street with some other robots who are of lowly position. They're broken down. They're struggling just like him. And he starts to figure out that if he will use his gifts and abilities as an inventor, if he'll use those to help other robots, he can start to help other people. And pretty soon, as a result of the movie, by helping other people, his dreams do come true. The the key phrase in the movie, I'm tempted to ask my son because he's in here, but he knows. The key phrase in the movie is this, see a need, fill a need. See a need, fill a need. Now listen, the pagan world came up with that, but it's genius, it's what we should be doing as Christians. It's what Jesus teaches us to do is to walk through the world, see the needs around us and move to meet them and fill them, and do something about them. We can't do everything. We can't solve every problem, but you can help somebody that you rub shoulders with every day. You can be available to help them, to minister to them, to encourage them. Let's learn how to serve others. As you walk with God, if you walk God's path and stay true to Him, you will grow to realize that it is by God's power that your dreams will come true. Joseph began to realize that um, as he he lived, he uh, told these men their dreams. The baker, of course, it came true. He was killed by Pharaoh. The cupbearer got out of prison. Joseph said, please remember me. Of course, the cupbearer forgot him promptly. And two years later, Pharaoh woke up after a night of sleeping. He was distraught. He had a couple of dreams. And he said, I don't know what these mean. I need somebody to help me. He began to ask, who knows how to interpret these dreams? Somebody help me. These are troubling me. And the cupbearer said, ah there's this kid in prison. He interpreted a dream for me. Maybe he could help you. And so Joseph has an appointment with Pharaoh. It's interesting because the Bible says that he cleaned up, uh, took a bath and a shower, put on some clean clothes. It says that he shaved, which we all know means he shaved his neck. That's all men would do, right? Okay. Come on, man. That's a good, nobody really laughs at that. That's genius. Okay. So he shaves and he goes to meet with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I've had these two dreams. Can you interpret them? Listen to this. Uh, Genesis 41 verse 16. This is what Joseph says. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph came to realize that God had the power to work through him. His dreams coming fulfilled were not about him being famous and being important, His opportunity, his moment in front of Pharaoh was all about God working through him. If you and I will recognize that God wants to work through us, he's given us gifts and abilities. Some of us have the ability to do things uh, and to influence people and to, to start things that are fabulous, to dream big dreams. Listen, God wants to work through you to accomplish something great. It is not by your power, it is not your abilities that he needs to make something happen. Okay, it's not because you're so special and important. It's because God wants to work through you. William Booth, who was the the founder of the Salvation Army, said something like this. He was asked how he had such a great impact and how um, he had changed the world so much there in England, working with the poor in London. He said this, "If if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it's because God has all the adoration in my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Lastly, recognize that God's greater purpose, or recognize God's greater purpose for your dream. Joseph, at the end of his life, um, was able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and he said, listen, Pharaoh, you had a dream that says there's gonna be seven years of plenty, and then there's gonna be seven years of famine. And so, Pharaoh put him in charge, second only to Pharaoh. He gained this position of prominence that he had dreamt about, that God had given him dreams for. He finally found his place into that position, and it was from prison that he was moved into that position. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. You might think there's no way I'm gonna get to the place that I've dreamt of. There's no way I'm gonna get there from here. Can I just tell you, God doesn't have a problem with getting you from where you're at to where he wants you, wherever that is. It's not a problem for him. Joseph experienced that, ushered directly from being a prisoner into being second in command in Egypt. He began to prepare. He stored the crops from the seven years of of, uh, plenty. And then the seven years of famine started. And there was enough food in Egypt to feed the world. Jacob and Joseph's brothers didn't have food. Jacob said, some of you boys need to go down to Egypt and see if you can get some food for us. And all of a sudden, Joseph's dreams start to come to reality because his brothers come and meet with him. And he has to go through a process of working through his emotions, his trust issues with them, his anger, his resentment. Even though God had taken him through so much, he still had to work through a process with them. You can read about it in Genesis 49 and 50. In in, uh, Genesis 50 verse 19, Joseph expresses to them something very important. It it demonstrates his reflection or his recognition that God had a greater purpose with what Joseph had been through. This is what it says, but Joseph replied, "'Don't be afraid of me. "'Am I God that I can punish you? "'You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. "'He brought me to this position "'so I could save the lives of many people. "'Don't be afraid. "'I will continue to care for you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Self-serving dreams are not from God and will end in disappointment and discouragement. They do not end with a deep and lasting satisfaction and fulfillment. God wants to birth in us big dreams that will involve changing the world around us. I know that God is not satisfied with the number of people that are in church right now around our region. He's not saying, you know, that's okay. We got enough. We had enough that have found me, have trusted in me. We'll just we'll just settle for that. That's not how God operates. We dreamed big enough. Are we dreaming big enough to get in line with what God wants to do, so we can see, be a part of seeing that happen? When I was a young youth pastor, I was taught to dream up b-hags, big, hairy, audacious goals. I was told that I could not dream big enough to match God's dreams that my best attempts at dreaming, and coming up with something magnificent would not even come close to what God had planned. But I was encouraged to do it, to think bigger, to dream bigger. Can we as a church think and dream about changing this region, this state, this country? I don't know what God wants to do. I just know that he has big plans and that he wants to tap into some of us to get on board with him, to start to think the way he does, To stop thinking as, oh, we've lost it. Oh, it's out of of control. Everybody's turned away. No, no, hold on. God's not done. He has more to do. And as long as he waits to return, he has people he wants us to reach. He has uh, ministries he wants us to start. He has an impact he wants us to have. God, thank you so much for the way that you work in our lives. Thank you for calling us to be your people. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of the dream, the dreaming process about seeing the world around us change, seeing people that we work with and live around and are related to come to know you. Father, I pray that you would work in a powerful way in us and through us May we walk through the process of having our character shaped, of standing up to the test, of choosing to honor you. Father, would you continue to birth in us the ability and the desire to serve others so that we could be a part of seeing amazing things happen through us by your power to change the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.